Welcome to CTRM Radio, home of the official podcast of Commodity Technology Advisory and your source for information on all matters related to CTRM. Hello and welcome to CTRM Radio, an ad hoc podcast from Commodity Technology Advisory LLC hosted by CTRMCenter.com and kindly sponsored by Enuit, an award-winning global provider of CTRM solutions. My name is Gary Vesey, and in this edition, Patrick Reams and I will be talking to ION and Hitachi Energy about net zero, carbon, and CTRM needs and requirements. We'll also be touching on whether, in fact, these new requirements may be delayed by the current Russia-Ukraine conflict. While there can be no doubt that we're entering a new era in terms of CTRM software requirements in which carbon footprints, particularly associated with transactions, may well be needed to be calculated and stated. Furthermore, ESG and carbon issues may well impact counterparty credit. And in addition, allowances and certificates also need to be supported, not just as traded instruments, but in terms of their full and complete life cycle. Let's start by talking with Lance Fotman of ION. Lance, I guess first question is, where is ION in terms of managing carbon trading, uh, carbon reporting, tracking, etc., as the the current market needs it? Yeah, thanks, Patrick. I mean, you're, you're, you're absolutely correct. The energy transition, uh, the move to net zero is front and center. ION is also front and center there. We have had emissions trading uh, for a couple decades now in Europe and uh, roughly 10 years, different types of, of programs uh, elsewhere. So we, we've been doing emissions trading, but the the nascent, we'll call it the entire global carbon market, um, we are uh, leading the efforts to to resolve exactly what you're saying, trading, reporting, tracking, inventory, position keeping, and uh, ultimately uh, as well the ESG reporting, uh, which is, is, is the coup de grace at this point. So it, it, if I think about where ION is, I, I have to think about a couple different things, uh, workflow, that's needed to handle the different problems. Um, And generally, I think of a customer's profile, which derives what their needs are, what kind of use cases and workflow they will need. And you think profile, you start to do what we call firmographics instead of demographics being the population of of you and I, we we think firms um, and their size and what type of firm where they participate in a supply chain. From a size perspective, obviously, you know, we can differentiate between the, the large organizations, the large utilities or others with a very large power and gas desk, uh, complex operations, um, either large in the regional perspective or global reach, or some of the smaller organizations or even the smaller new desks that are part of a larger organization. So we think size, and then we think the type of firm. So it's the same, roughly the same problem as, as whether you're trading an LNG or crude or, uh, you know, a copper concentrates. You still have to determine where they participate in that supply chain, right? So, you know, you can start with the very beginning with the producers that have a compulsory obligation um, in different schemes or at least voluntary if they wish through to traders that that are getting into this to... You know, because of the volatility and the the opportunity for an ARB there, 
as well as, and that includes banks and, and broker dealers and so forth, as well as the physical traders who are able to combine their solutions, uh, the carbon solutions with some of their existing trading. Think blue ammonia out of the Middle East, think mm -hmm. neutral cargoes, whether that's an LNG or you know, carbon neutral propane trade that maybe goes to the Far East. Crude obviously can be carbon neutral. We had a couple of those last year. Utilities kind of fall into that big generation as well as the consumption. And then of course, consumers, we see, I mean, the, the largest, some of the largest carbon offset participants are uh, data centers, you know, your Googles and, and those that uh, obviously generate uh, a very large data center, data footprint, computing footprint. Uh, but other consumers obviously are getting into this. Circular participants is another area that we're covering. The circular economy, whether you are recycling uh, metals, whether you're recycling used motor oil, um, all of these are participating in, in being able to participate in different types of schemes at different project methodologies that they're able to participate and register to, to the registries. The, the, the interesting I see is that we're able to really handle very quickly is some of these small, I've just got two, three uh, person trading desk that is, is going to open up and serve as both from a proprietary as well as what I need to have for my books. And that's something interesting that we've been able to really fly quickly with. But ultimately, you think of the size of the firm, the types of the firm, but then you get to the use cases. So we covered a few of the use cases, but we, we've been handling renewable fuels for a long time. So I lump in renewable fuels in there because in certain schemes, it kind of works. If you think renewable natural gas, biomethane in the U.S., they, that basically falls in under an LCFS or a REN or something of that nature, whereas um, the, the classic renewable fuels of, of the uh, RENs and the RTFOs and the HPEs and so on in Europe, and that flies. But the carbon is where it's getting very interesting. So what we have done specifically is we've created products uh, or enhanced our products so that they are able to be as flexible as needed to be able to handle carbon, to be able to handle renewable energy, as well as renewable fuels. And the diversity of that, as, as I've you know, spent a long time basically saying, it goes across the types of firms, the sizes of firms, and their use cases. So that's what we've been building and we've, we've deployed quite a lot to existing customers as well as new customers. Um, and we're seeing tremendous demand, uh, tremendous a number of requests to be able to show our carbon solutions. Mm -hmm. um, what this, so that, that's what we're working towards on the, on, the, on the front side of this is ultimately, regardless of what type of, of use case you're using this for, if offsets, I need to participate in the ETS, the classic allowances, auctions, and EUAs, or I'm going to do Australian uh, ACUs. Ultimately, the biggest thing that we see is I need flexibility and simplicity to see my carbon inventory. Everyone comes to us, and that's 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 the that's is the primary need. Make sure that I can keep, I can put my new carbon desk on. And I can see my carbon inventory 
and then it flows simply into the broader portfolio if they have you know other asset classes so right. that's the key need and that's the what we built out there then working toward that is the tracking so how do i track how do i handle the workflow how do i manage registry and transferring registering surrendering terminating all of that workflow requires highly configurable solutions and we have those um, across three of our products two of them especially and then the the last of that tracking that monitoring is the esg so uh and and i i can come to that in a moment but the that's going to be uh, take a while because to truly handle ESG well, sure that you know and and you have your entire mo uh, business model from uh, we'll say you know the old wellhead to the burner tip, if you will. Right, right. Long answer there. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, no, no, it's, it's very good, and I, and I think you you've touched on my next question, but uh, in, in terms of anticipated requirements or put another way what what are your clients asking for in terms of what they need in the future and i think esg clearly is, is a big component of that are there are there is is it really around just esg or is there something else that your clients are anticipating that they're going to need in the future so yeah i mean esg i think is that long tenor or the 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 longest horizon item um, mm -hmm. out in the future. If, if we bring it back into the nearby, the, again, carbon inventory is, is incredibly important. A flexible solution that manages the workflow around carbon because it's a, it's a hybrid commodity. It's, it has some physical concepts, but there, there is no molecule or hydrocarbon to actually store or move. But it does have that need to, I need, I need flexibility to be able to essentially set an inventory and to be able to have that workflow. So that's important. And it's not like a multimodal transportation and, and shipping and logistics. So it's a different type of workflow that you need to manage. A bit more like a, a confirmation management to be able to push data back and forth like regulatory. So right. it's more of that. And we certainly have, have, have handled those types of needs, which are front and center right now. And then the other need that we're seeing, and we're, we're building to this, we've already actually built a, a, a very good start to this, is just better intelligence. Uh, simply put, data. The, the okay. ability to bootstrap data as from a carbon perspective, as well as the market data, and be able to visualize that into the solution and combine that. So anytime you're dealing with carbon offsets, you need to be able to reference which project, which registry. So um, we spent many months uh, trying to track down the best possible sources of data. And if you go across the different uh, gold and Vera and APX and, and, and CR and ACR and CAR and, and all of the acronyms, right. um, none of them have you know, we can gather their data. It's, it's, it's great data, but thanks to actually uh, Cal, uh, Cal Berkeley, have one of the most complete data sets for carbon projects that we've been able to find, at least at a high level that provides that. So 
we've compiled uh, uh, for ION a, a project database globally that that has you know is is between five to ten thousand global projects. So mm -hmm. what that means, we're going to bootstrap you, so that you can just use that existing database to you know obviously the the, the number of registries is is you know roughly ten that most people would deal with that will bootstrap you with that kind of data. And that way you don't have to do all of that legwork yourself. You can pick which ones you want, start it up, and then you're able to be more efficient. Um, you're also able to attach your proprietary evaluation to that. So that's the other thing that people are seeing. So what do you mean by data? I mean, the market data right now is completely illiquid. Yes, we've had EUAs for a long time. Yes, we've got a couple of contracts on CME and ICE for US or, you know, and there's an index for RTGI and EUAs and so on. Um, and yes, CME has the CCAs and we have the GOs and the NGOs that are out there and that we have tiny amounts of liquidity, but it's basically opaque still. So there is a need right now to be able to set up your bespoke marks to be able to value a particular project because although a project may be verified by gold and it's you know based on a geo price or an ngo price you still have to have some differential so we're seeing everyone is saying i need to be able to have a, a little bit more logical or consistent method to mark this based off of say project scope or the project methodology. You know, is this a vegetation? Is this a biodiversity? Is this a um, renewable? What, what type of project is this and how do I mark that and value that to my book? So a little bit long answer there, but carbon inventory, better data, workflow, and then of course at the end is the SG. Uh, you, you, you've got regionalization and, and regulatory regimes and regulatory schemes, even within countries, but across borders, it becomes even more difficult to, to, to manage and to uh, address the workflow issues associated with that. How, how is ION handling, or how do you envision handling the, the regionalization between you know, Europe, US, US, Canada? particularly when it comes to ESG and ESG requirements? Fantastic question. Uh, and, and you're right, you know, Europe is, well, for ESG, it becomes a little bit more interesting. Uh, I mean, we back up to the carbon regulations, which also speak to the, the importance of ESG. The, you know, Europe at least has a, a pretty consistent approach across the union. Right. Uh, whereas the US, if we just contrast those two, highly fragmented, right? Yes, we've got CAR, California's uh, cap trade, and yes, we've got the regional or RGGI cap and trade, and that's you know, just for the power guys, NYSERDAs, and the, and the so-ons of the world. But the, the, the fragmentation of federal, state, uh, even you know, county, city level is, is, makes things very difficult. Uh, what that means is, again, highly configurable. So on the existing, what people are trying to get to on a carbon workflow, it means that we have to have out of the box support for what we know, meaning we have workflows that are set up that 
you know, we're probably going to get you at least 95% for what we know as far as ETS or um, some of the, the California scheme or RGDI if you're doing a, a wind power, a renewable power wind off of, you know, somewhere in the Northeast of the U.S. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to bootstrap you with standard workflow, but we also need to be able to boot to, to help you get up and going quickly for non-standard. So, you know, Australia hasn't yet finished off the ACX in, in that schema, but we kind of have a good idea of we're working several customers there on where they're going to go. But ESG, then taking that beyond, you know, carbon, I, I'll be honest, I, I don't believe, uh, you know, and, and SEC and several of the regulatory regimes are just now in the U.S. are just now getting into trying to figure out what they want to do. And so I think it's years away. I can tell you that ION is not putting lobbyists and, and research analysts in, in Washington or the major or Brussels or wherever to try to understand what they're going to do. We're listening to our customers instead um, because they they do that better than we do. But we are definitely also involving ourselves with some of the organizations that are working on these schemes and advising these schemes. Even one of the organizations is looking at like an Africa-based uh, carbon scheme. So we're, we're building those relationships and working that angle as well, primarily listening to our customers on what they're going to need for ESG. More important, we understand the physical commodity supply chain better than anyone. A little bit nervy to say that, but I mean, we, we do. We, we have the, a, a very strong position to be able to support that, um, which means that we have solutions that model these supply chains, which is the core to be able to track your scope one, two, and three, or at least scope one and two relative to your supply chain. What we are doing from a product perspective is we are building in those, I'll call it hooks, kind of using an old technology word. We're building in those hooks to be able to make sure that every step along the supply chain, whether we're modeling transportation, generically or logistics, or modeling some type of process or production or consumption in the supply chain that we're able to capture the, the, the footprint, if you will. So mm -hmm. give you a use case for, for the simplest uh, carbon neutral cargos, you know, we're able to do simple calculation based off of the type of product you, you, you define. Everyone has to define master data to define what kind of product I'm creating. Uh, or the commodity, the grade, and so forth. So we've added um, additional data points to there so that it can calculate that footprint based off of a few variables. And then ultimately a 3.6 TBTU uh, cargo of LNG from, oh, let's say from uh, NNPC, uh, offtake by uh, uh, um, a VTOL that goes to or maybe a so car that goes off to uh, somewhere in the Far East has X number of ton that needs to be offset. We can do that. So that's the simple case, but modeling more steps along that supply chain is also critical. So two of our products, um, one of our products already has a, you know, end to end or two of our products already had that end to end. I mean, just right out of the box, you can see every step where a hydrocarbon or a molecule has been started and where it ended from your tracking. So all you have to do is apply those hooks to every step 
to be able to manage that footprint along the way, accumulate that footprint, and then be able to report it, be able to offset it, and so on. Yeah, yeah. A little bit technical, but I hope that makes sense. I, I just want to close really quickly, making some assumptions, but I know most people know our, our, our flagship OpenLink, tier one global solution, can, can manage virtually any asset class, any instrument that is highly configurable, deep capabilities front to back. Generally, because of the premier and, and, and some timeline and uh, the size of the project and so forth, it, it, it goes towards our tier one, maybe tier two customers. Then we, we are also targeting what we just released, which is our carbon, uh, a simpler carbon solution, which can go and literally be deployed in days or weeks inside of a month specifically for simple solutions is our, our aspect SaaS solution. So fully SaaS, highly configurable, and again, very cost-effective and, and time to market uh, and critical there. Thanks to Patrick and Lance. I also spoke with Hugo Stappers of Hitachi Energy. What are you seeing in the market in terms of needs for carbon trading, reporting and tracking? Yeah, we, we have seen that you know, all the time, right? So the, um, there is a difference, obviously, between certain geographies if you are considering the emission allowances sales for of, of certificates like the you know the the emission uh, allowances in Europe because in Europe there's an ETS scheme uh, the energy trading scheme um, and in the in the in, uh, in the US you really don't have that anymore given the you know presidential changes there that used to exist you know with some of the programs uh, way way back uh, years ago, uh, but today that is uh, just uh, just less. So you see a lot of the uh, certificate trading happening in uh, in Europe, and you have now also seen the announcement that China uh, is launching an ETS scheme of itself as well. So that, from an EGM perspective, uh, at least for us, is still you know capturing those trades. Right, there's nothing uh, particular uh, about it. But then you also, if you dive a little deeper, you get uh, you know into the uh, verified emission uh, reduction certificates, and so now you're getting into some registries as well, and and so you know that that would involve a little more capturing of uh, some of these registry attributes as well, um, and then thirdly you have the carbon accounting uh, activities where companies, not just uh, the, the energy companies, but you know any cooperative that would like to get a greener footprint and improve their you know reputation, think about um, you know from um, mining companies to uh, you know large other emitters, maybe even data centers and so on, are getting interested in saying, you know we, uh, we need to uh, improve uh, that emission level. So they are uh, working towards identifying where they are emitting and are identifying you know, where they are uh, able to offset that with uh, different projects. And so that is where the carbon accounting basically comes in and that's where we can help them as well. But then I think also associated to this, you know, speaking of green footprint, 
is that you also see uh, you know, companies just buying what is it renewable energy to uh, to offset where they're buying um, you know the the gray or the black uh, electricity now. Uh, but that is you know less um, th that all helps of course, but that's less on the carbon side than it might be on the you know what kind of electricity do I uh, buy here, right? So so that that's what we are uh, seeing there. And the carbon accounting, of course, gets into this whole carbon chain from what areas in the supply chain do I see that is that, that you think is all green and all uh, carbon free and net zero, uh, but then was you know manufactured in a factory that was powered up by you know coal coal fired electricity, right? So then yeah. you have that problem again, and that goes back into where do these companies see where the greenhouses are coming from even in scope one scope two and scope uh, three areas uh, and that goes back to carbon accounting to identify them set that up and then buy offsets against them is right. that kind of answering your question gary pioneer and now hitachi has had a solution in this area for some time haven't you Absolutely, yeah. So the interesting thing is that we have been in the environmental solution business for over 15 years. So we have uh, definitely pedigree there, both on the uh, on, on both sides, actually, right? On the emission allowances management side, as well as on the renewable energy certificates or you know energy attribute certificates, as they uh, call them uh, these days, uh, as well. And so we had two specific specialized tools for that um, and the you know irony is of course that the rec tracker product um, for the uh, management of uh, renewable energy certificates started in the US in the North American market with the renewable portfolio standards program right so, so some of that is of course still happening but some of that is also now you know at, at the lower level if you look at the carbon side and for emission tracker that was kind of the same thing. And so the North American um, interest, I would say, is a little lower because of what I mentioned earlier uh, with you know, what the um, U.S. You know, government, U.S. administration is seeing as priorities. And that goes back into the whole idea of what is climate change about, what is uh, real, what is not real, what do we need to do, is there really a warming up or is there not? And then if you look at Europe, in, in the, of course, they had that ETS program already there. But at the same time, uh, you then got the Paris you know, meeting followed up by its successor with COP26. And I think that put a lot of um, drive behind looking um, at not only you know, the, the renewable energy, but also looking at the, the whole carbon uh, reduction. And you know, I think that got a further boost by looking now at you know the conflict in Eastern Europe, in you in the in, in Ukraine, where people now see that you know we really need to not be dependent on that gas. We need to go to renewables, and so a lot of that traction, um, uh, you know, illustrated of course by the Fit for 55 program in Europe, is driving it now. And as I mentioned earlier, with China now also introducing ETS, uh, you see really that you know things are taking off doesn't mean of course that there's no headwind because you know uh, certainly a lot of that is happening still as well uh, about how people are 
you know, recognizing that the, the, you know, the what, right? We need to get to net zero by 2030, by 2050, or 2060, as China has put it out. Uh, but the how is not always, uh, you know, equally clear. How are we going to get there, right? You know, wind, solar, um, and how much? And I think there's a reality sinking in as well that all of this is very expensive, right? And yeah. now certainly with this gas situation, you see that people are getting more aware of that. So how are we going to make it happen? Then the conflict for me um, has sort of a mixed a mixed bag because on the one hand, it, it as you say, kind of emphasizes the drive to renewables. But on the other hand, it also emphasizes the importance of fossil fuels and so, you know, do you expect to see some, some, shall we not pushback, but perhaps um, uh, realization of, of, of the sort of ugly truth that it's going to take a bit longer than they, they anticipated under current circumstances? Is that something yes. you're seeing in the market? Uncertainty? Oh, and, uh, absolutely, uh, Gary. I mean, first thing, right, to answer your question about, you know, how long is it going to take? It is going to take... Uh, you know, a while, right? Because you see with China already 2060 as the ambition. And then, you know, uh, depending on, on countries or, or groups of countries together, you know, you go to 2014, 2030. We're going to see for it's today, uh, May 2022, we're going to see for another 20 years automobiles with combustion engines on the road, right? They are not going to disappear because your neighbor today just bought one and that thing is only getting old in you know, 15, 20 years from now and then being removed from the, uh, you know, the road, right? So we're yeah. going to be uh, you know, with that for a while. Then the other thing is that in terms of pushback, uh, other than the unexpected market developments from, you know, what COVID has done, COVID-19, but also what the conflict in Ukraine has done. Uh, we also have seen this impact on the commodity cost. And that, again, is affecting, you know, manufacturing of uh, wind turbines. Eh? You have seen the, the announcements by, you know, the big uh, wind turbine makers, Vestas and so on, um, GE, they haven't made a dime yet, right? So that's going to be uh, difficult. What to think about solar panels, right? It, uh, everyone is now, because of this gas price, jumping on solar panels. How are we going to make them? And maybe not the panels, but at least the converters behind them. Then let's think about the batteries, right? We want to have you know, battery storage uh, behind renewable, non-dispatchable resources, but we also need these batteries for electric vehicles. You know, where do we get uh, all that, right? The lithium, yeah. right, is uh, is something that we need to uh, mine again, by the way, which is then affecting, of course, CO2 uh, emission again. Now, apart from that commodity stuff, so that is going to slow down some of this build-out, some of this build-out of new wind projects, you know, big ambitions that we have in the, here in Europe in the North Sea, but we also see that offshore you know, in the Americas and other areas in uh, in the globe, then you see this public resistance against uh, these renewable generation sources, right? I mean, um, yeah. you know, wind, your wind project, this big turbine in my backyard, you know, that's that's uh, not for me. You know, put it somewhere else. So that is hampering this decentralization again. But I also think there's a market design issue, right? Um, here in the Netherlands, where I'm based. The city of Amsterdam 
has no capacity anymore to take on more, uh, um, how do you call it, electric connections uh, for companies, um, businesses that would like to move from gas to electricity. So they need to build it out. They need to have new switch gear there. They need to have new um, uh, lines in there. The grid needs to be updated. So that is, um, you know, a huge problem uh, because you know that congestion will uh, will slow that down. Yeah. Um, right. Because there's a lot of uh, you know ele- electricity demand to change uh, all this that fossil fuel that you were talking about. And then also, I think you have you know the wholesale market that you know I'm I'm dealing with more often, and and you know that that is affecting that market design is affecting this as well, right? Because you are you and I aware of the the nodal markets in the U.S. We have a zonal market in Europe, and then you have different unregulated markets uh, elsewhere. What is that doing about price, right? Uh, that is going to probably, if we don't make updates there going to drive uh, a lot of uh, excessive pricing uh, that will be on your and my uh, bill uh, before we know it, right? So that will be a a problem uh, and that needs to be addressed as well. And there are initiatives absolutely out there that are addressing that. In terms of what customers and prospects are asking you for in this sort of area, what are the top top priorities for them that you, you hear about? There are a few things, but if, if I keep myself to the, you know, the ETRM business uh, for now, right, that's what we're talking about, then cer- certainly you see that uh, companies understand they need a system that can help them in this renewable energy market. And so that means that you need to have tools uh, that can uh, more quickly you know, update your position uh, because uh, the, we're working much more in the short-term markets. Delivery gets uh, you know, closer to, uh, to the, the trading. Um, so they need that. That means that they need much better technology to inter- interface with all kinds of tools, including forecasting tools, trading venues, algo and auto trading uh, tools, uh, etc. Uh, and so a lot of these legacy tools didn't do that, right? They had overnight processes. They were not live systems. Uh, they had older technologies uh, where you didn't have you know, the right API uh, technology, et cetera. So that's certainly something they need. Then you also see that uh, they need to capture uh, where you started these uh, certificates because, you know, the, a lot of the electricity now is not only uh, the fossil generated uh, electricity, but a lot of that renewable stuff. So that uh, needs to be captured uh, as well. And then you have a lot of the the newer renewable uh, generators that are actually selling uh, energy separately and selling their certificates separately because it's a nice, you know, revenue uh, channel there. And so you need to capture that. And to in order to redeem that and retire all that, you need to have a proper tool uh, to manage that. And the HRM system in general is not suitable uh, to do that. And that goes back to some of the, the modules that I mentioned uh, earlier. But it also means that because people are asking for, you know, uh, power purchase agreement, PPAs, they can be complex. And so uh, you also need to settle that. There were EGM systems that couldn't even produce an invoice, right? So that is a change now because what you cannot do in the back office, you cannot offer in the front office, right? So there is a realization of that happening as well. PPAs is a must have. You need to be able to do that. 
associated certificates with these PPAs need to be managed, you need to have that too, right? And, and, and that brings a lot of people out of comfort zone because the systems couldn't do that. And, you know, that positions Hitachi Energy really well because we have exactly those kind of tools. Thanks to Hugo and Lance for their thoughts and insights on this edition of CGRM Radio. We will be tracking how carbon requirements impact the software category going forward in both our research and advisory services. But it is interesting to learn what the major vendors are seeing in the market currently. Well, this has been an episode of CTRM Radio from Commodity Technology Advisory, LLC. We thank you for listening and hope that you found it useful. Please do like, share and follow the podcast for other episodes and content. It can be found at all podcast sites like Spotify and Apple, for example, as well as on ctrmcenter.com. Listening to CTRM Radio, a podcast by leading industry analysts, Commodity Technology Advisory. You can find more information about us at comtechadvisory.com and much more news, views, research, and information on CTRM at the CTRM Center at CTRMCenter.com. Thank you for joining our presenters, managing partners Patrick Reams and Gary M. Basie, and their guests today. And we hope to see you on a future edition of CTRM Radio.